Well, you can turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. Just three chapters left in the depressing book. Uh, it's kind of sad, actually. Depressing that we're going to be leaving the depressing book soon, but uh, it's been very encouraging to my heart. Hopefully, it's been encouraging to your heart uh, to see the ways in which God helps us in a fallen world. Uh, so today we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. Does wisdom have value? Uh, and we'll see it through the eyes of the story concerning the poor wise man. So we'll read verses 13 through 18 of Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9. This wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it, besieged it, and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. Then I said, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Words of the wise, spoken quietly, should be heard, rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Amen. Well, let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, there are so many things that give us pause to stop and consider, so many things that we find in this world that truly is unfair. And we're thankful, O oh God, that you teach us and prepare our hearts for this reality in the present age. But we also know, O oh God, in Christ, all things shall be made right and all things shall be made new. And so may we see through the eyes of Christ, may we see through the eyes of your word that wisdom most assuredly has value. Wisdom truly is better than strength. Truly, words of the wise are better heard than the shout of a fool. And we, may we also see that wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But help us also to understand, O oh God, that, that even in this present age where there's sin and sorrow and suffering, uh, that there are times when those who are wise will be despised. Those who are wise will be forgotten. But help us to remember, O oh God, that in Christ, you know us. You know us, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You've redeemed us in Christ, in him, and thank you that even though one man brought sin into the world, through one man, righteousness came as well. And so may these things give us great comfort as we navigate the fallen world in which we live, as we deal with inconsistent, inconsistency, as we deal with unfairness, oh God, thank you that you prepare our hearts for such times, and may we put our faith and trust in you in all that we do. So help us to pursue wisdom, help us to pursue it by your spirit and by your word, and we pray, O oh God, tonight would be an encouragement and a strengthening for your people. We also pray, O oh God, that sinners would be saved. And we pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, it's no surprise that men and women throughout all the ages, but perhaps especially in our modern age, we desire to be recognized. We desire to be seen by others because we think our life would only mean something if we're recognized by based on what other people say. And this is very much characterized by our social media age in which we live in. Everybody wants to post their life on Facebook. Everybody wants to post their life on Instagram. People want to give a 150-character tweet on what they're thinking. They want to be seen by others. They are driven by the likes, driven by the comments, driven by uh, what people have to say with them. And people want to be known. People don't want to be forgotten. And so when we hear things uh, uh, about being forgotten, it perhaps is very jarring uh, for us. It's perhaps very jarring for people that have been taught all their life that they should be known. And so thankfully, though, the preacher warns us all that in reality, we're not going to be known by everybody. In reality, we need to be prepared for the disappointment that we face. 
And one way he illustrates this is with one who does a great thing. This poor wise man does a great thing for this city, and yet he is forgotten. Vanity of vanities and a great perplexity. What an inconsistent fallen world in which we live in. And the preacher is wrestling uh, with this very thing in these verses. He wrestled with the fact of a popular king in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, one who uh, became to power, but eventually his popularity passed away. He wrestled with it then, and he wrestles with it here as well. Because the world really is inconsistent. The world really is a fallen place. You like to think that all th- people who do what is right will receive blessings, and people who do, do what is good uh, will get their comeuppance, but that is not always the case. And so Ecclesiastes kind of challenges, it goes with, but kind of nuances the book of Proverbs. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit is there in all the, uh, the work that man does under the sun? What profit is there in all that we do in the world in which we live in? And so he comes to illustrate here, what is the value of wisdom? Is there any benefit of it? And even to at the end, uh, in the previous section, he talked about the fate of death, the gift of life, but perhaps we don't know when wicked things will come upon us. It comes upon us suddenly in verses 11 and 12. So he comes to consider then again his quest. What then is the value of wisdom? Does it have any? Especially in the light of the problems that we see in this section. The problem, how wise people are forgotten. A man who does a great thing is despised by the people whom he has saved. Wisdom does have value, but those who exercise it are forgotten. Vanity of vanities. The other problem is how one person can ruin it for everybody else. How one fool destroys much good. How one person can bring much calamity upon many in this world. This is vanity of vanities and striving after wind. And so in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 13 through 18, the preacher uses this story of the, of, the, of the city and the poor wise man to illustrate both the value, but also the enigma of wisdom. Does wisdom have value? And it certainly does. The answer to that question is yes, but there's also a caveat uh, to that answer. And so we'll look at this story under two headings this evening. First of all, the story of the poor wise man, verses 13 through 15. Secondly, the lesson of the poor wise man, verses 16 through 18. So the story of the poor wise man, verses 13 and fi- through 15. And then we'll see the lesson of the poor wise man in verses 16 through 18. So let's first look at the story of the poor wise man in verses 13 through 15. And notice the observation the preacher, who I believe is Solomon, makes. He says, verse 13, this wisdom I have also seen under the sun, and it seemed great to me. He's determining what is the meaning of life. He's determining determining the right path of life. What is the right way? What is wisdom and what is folly? Now, biblically, wisdom is the right understanding of who God is and the right application of the knowledge of him. It is skill in taking the right path. What must man do when an obstacle comes his way? How ought we we to proceed uh, in a biblical godly way in the right way when those difficulties arise. And so he says, I've seen wisdom, I've pursued it, I've seen it. And he is, he does say, it did seem great to me. There was some value to it for sure. Now, this is a little different than what he says in Ecclesiastes 1. Wisdom brings grief, or perhaps the pursuit of wisdom brings grief. And the reason the pursuit of wisdom brings grief is because as you pursue what is the right way, you're inevitably going to find out what the wrong way is. And there is no one righteous under the sun. Now, God made man upright, but he sought out his own devices. 
One in a thousand, he says, I could not find. But uh, uh, what does he say in verse, sorry, uh, Ecclesiastes 7? He says, uh, um, one man among thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. He's trying to highlight here that finding a wise man is a difficult thing. Finding a wise person is a difficult thing. Finding wisdom itself is a difficult thing in the fallen world in which we live in. So this is a little bit of a different tune here. He does see the benefit of it, but he's just going to shatter all our thoughts when we get to verse 15. He's just going to shatter and break that glass and bring us down once again uh, as he goes through. There's, some, there's certainly some irony uh, in this section. And so he did see something that was good. He saw a wise man with his wisdom, save a city from a great calamity. And so he goes into the story. Some say it could be a parable, but perhaps it actually is a story uh, that Solomon heard of or saw or observed uh, in his life. But even if it was a parable, parables typically are similitudes, typically describing something with a lesson we ought to learn. A lot of them do come from life itself. So uh, in any case, I do think it perhaps is more of a story here and contrasts abound. We see there was a little city with a few men in it. So not a big place, not a large place, not a lot of people who are populated there. Perhaps they're just trying to mind their own business. And all of a sudden, a great king came against it. And perhaps there is some connection with verse 12, how suddenly the great king brought, uh, came up against this small city. How quickly evil can happen just like that against somebody in this world. That's why we have to be on guard and ever watchful. That's why the day of uh, prosperity is from God, but so is the day of adversity as well. And it really can come like a thief in the night. And so perhaps we see that like a thief in the night, here comes this great king. A great king came against it. He besieged it and built great snares around it. So that snare language is used in verse 11, like a bird's like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So all of a sudden, this great king comes upon this small town, this small city, this small place, and he tries to besiege it. So they're attacked, and notice we see God delivers them. And there is some perplexity. Again, there is a great king versus a few men, but also a poor wise man. Verse 15, now there was found in it a poor wise man. The implication of found there, as Matthew Henry will point out, I'll read a quote in just a second, is that they sought this man out. They needed him in a time of distress, but because he was poor, perhaps initially they despised him. They didn't call upon him. Perhaps they looked down upon him and they're going to despise him afterward as well, but they had to seek him out. They need someone who was wise. They need someone who could help them as they deal with this great king who is besieging them, trying to take them out. And so they seek him. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man. He may not be rich, but he has wisdom. He knows the right path to take. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Now it doesn't say exactly how he does that there in verse 15, the implication seems to be, based on verses 16 through 18, he used his words. Perhaps we could say the pen is mightier than the sword. Sometimes words are better used to be able, in, in, in acts of diplomacy, to stop war. You know, we're not against self-defense, brethren. We're not against defending oneself. But if we can avoid the fight as much as possible, that is a good thing. To de-escalate, to bring the, 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 the heat down by using our words. That is an important thing to, to be able to do. And certainly this wise man perhaps did do such a thing. 
It might be a small city who was no match for a great king with strength. And so words of wisdom are needed to save the city. Henry says, being wise, he served the city, though he was poor. In their distress, they found him out and begged his advice and assistance. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, either by prudent instructions given to the besieged, directing them to some unthought of stratagem for their own security, or by a prudent treaty with besiegers. He did not upbraid them with the contempt they had put upon him in leaving him out of their counsel, nor tell them he was poor and had nothing to lose, and therefore cared not what became of the city, but he did his best for it and was blessed with success. He used wisdom to be able to save the city. Now, there is a biblical example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 20. There, there is this rebellious person named Sheba, and Joab, the commander of David's army, is pursuing Sheba. They come to the city of Abel in Israel, and as they're beginning to besiege, Joab's beginning to besiege the city and attack that city. A woman calls out and says, what in the world are you doing? Why are you trying to take out our city? And he says, well, we're trying to find this rebellious person named Sheba. And what does she say? And the Bible says in first, or 2 Samuel 20, it says, by her wisdom. And what she did, what she suggested, hey, we'll throw his head over the wall for you. And so the people of that city go find Sheba, lop off his head, and they throw his head over the wall. Why did they do that? So the entire city was not destroyed. By her wisdom, she engaged in diplomacy with Joab. Here's what we're going to do. We'll take out the rebel for you, but just don't take our city. And you know what? She delivered the city out of the hands of Joab, out from out, out of destruction by wisdom. So that is a blessed thing. Wisdom is a most blessed thing. Wisdom, as we'll see, is better than strength. And you'd expect that if someone gives or provides a great deliverance, they would get a parade, right? You'd expect someone to have a statue built after them. They saved our city. Yet vanity of vanities, right? Verse 15. Yet no one remembered that same poor man. The deliverer fades or is willfully forgotten. He did one great thing, but the people do not acknowledge that very thing that he does. He brought value, he brought wisdom, but he is forgotten. So one may then ask, if I'm not seen, what value is there in wisdom? If I'm just going to be despised and be brought low and not remembered, what value is there in wisdom? Henry says, many who have well merited of their prince and country have been ill paid. Such an ungrateful world do we live in. It is well that useful men have a God to trust in, who will be their bountiful rewarder. For among men, great services are often envied and rewarded with evil for good. He did a great thing, yet no one remembered that same poor man. And I think Bridges gives an excellent line of application from these verses, and I'm taking it from him. He says, prepare for disappointment. I mean, that's not the most uplifting application, is it? Prepare for the fact that we live in a fallen world and you're going to be disappointed. Prepare for hardship prepare for sadness, prepare for sorrow. That's good marriage advice, isn't it? Your spouse is probably going to disappoint you many a time. That's why I need to be forgiving and kind to them, right? And loving towards them. I mean, prepare for hardship, prepare for struggles. The sad reality is as well too, is that people become lost in the sands of time. 
even though they're wise, even though they're wealthy, they still shall be forgotten in this world. The sad thing is that we are very good at forgetting people, are we not? We're very good at forgetting the the generations that came before us. We're very good at forgetting our God, are we not? I mean, isn't that the charge against old covenant Israel? How often God said, you're going to go in the land, you're going to have all these good things, you're going to get fat off that land, and you're going to forget me. You're not going to be grateful, you're not going to be thankful, you're not going to appreciate all that I have done for you. People forget. People forget God, and people forget good things that people do. I think Kidner says, has a great quote. He says, but the parable is not a moral tale to show what people should do. Now, we will talk about how we ought to pursue wisdom, but I think his point is good. He says, it is a cautionary tale to show what they are like. Ungrateful, forgetful. That is what man is like in this fallen age. And we ought not to be surprised when it happens. We ought not to be surprised that we do it. And thankfully, there's mercy and forgiveness in Christ. But we have to prepare for this appointment in this world. A poor man delivered the city, yet no one remembered him. So that's the story of the poor wise man. What's the lesson then from the poor wise man? Verses 16 through 18. And so then the preacher, Kohelet, or Solomon, he goes in to talk about and give his lessons that he gleans from this story. Verse 16, then I said, wisdom is better than strength. So wisdom is still something that ought to be pursued. Just because someone is strong, just because someone is buff, doesn't mean they know how to use their brain uh, well. And so wisdom is a blessed thing. Proverbs 24 verses 3 through 7 speaks about the blessings of wisdom and how it builds wonderful things. Uh, The right use of God's law, the right use of uh, the right path in the life we uh, we, uh, uh, endeavor to lead. Uh, Verse 3 of Proverbs 24, through wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. So wisdom is a blessed thing. Wisdom is better than strength. This is Solomon gives these typical better than statements uh, in this book. So it is a good thing, but it's always the buts in Solomon. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Again, prepare for disappointment. Yeah, pursue strength, but prepare for the fact that if you do something good, people are going to be forgetful of that very thing that you do for them. Does that mean we don't do that good thing? No, but we need to be reminded. We ought to be thankful if someone does something good. But if someone does not thank you for the good thing you do, we ought to not be surprised by that very thing. And perhaps they're like, well, he's poor, but he helped us great, but he's poor. So perhaps they looked down upon him for that. So they despised him. And as well, his words were not heard. They heard them initially, he delivered them, but now they're not going to listen to him anymore, even though he's got wise things to say. Isn't that the sad part? The reality is in most of life, the people who we actually need to hear from are the ones who are neglected, the ones who, you know, we kind of push off by the wayside. I always like to talk about blogging and how young guys shouldn't blog, right? 
but the guys I really want to blog probably don't know how to blog, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm joking. I'm sure someone can help them. But the guys who've read for 15, 20, 25 years who I actually want to be blogging, they don't. Nobody listens to them. Nobody hears them. Nobody pays attention. We like to be these young up and coming guys who want to change the world. And that's a good thing. We got to listen to older men who have good wisdom with respect to how we ought to live and how we ought to function. And what's interesting too, as I've been reading more of history and understanding uh, how men became theologians, most men became masters in the sacred pages first. Before men wrote systematic theologies, they lectured on the Bible, books of the Bible. They wrote commentaries on the books of the Bible. And then after years, they then wrote their theologies, right? They became masters of the sacred pages and then became masters of sacred doctrine. I'm not saying we shouldn't read. I'm not saying we shouldn't read theology, but you understand that growth is important. Growth in the things of God is important, but it takes time. And the one I, ones we want to hear, to hear from typically are not always the ones that we hear. And even too, in our modern culture, we say something that is time tested, but that's just outdated. They're not that progressive enough. They don't really align with my ideology. And that's the sad part is that the people who need to speak are not spoken or do not are not heard. Maybe they do speak, but they are not heard. The people that need uh, to hear good things are not listening to those things. That's why people say common sense is not so common, right? I mean, there is common sense in this world. God made this world. God made us in his image and planted knowledge, righteousness, and holiness still fallen. God wrote his law upon our heart, right? That's why you can say to a pagan or hold a gun to a pagan's head and say, I'm going to shoot you. I don't actually want to shoot anybody, by the way. This is just an example. But you can say to that pagan, I want to shoot you. And they say, why? Well, because it makes me feel good. I identify as a serial killer. I identify as a mur- nobody actually says that, but can you? But that's the logic, isn't it? That's what, and then, but you can't do that. Why can't they do that? The law of God written upon their heart. Now they suppress other things as well. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness, absolutely. But there is a common notions in this world, as the old writers would say. There's the sense of the divine implanted in the image. And there is the law of God written on the heart. Now that doesn't save. It just makes man more obligated before God. We need saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there really is or ought to be a common sense, but it is not so common because of sin in this world. Vanity of vanities. Wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man is not heard. And he kind of builds on this in verse 17. The words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. So he builds upon that idea. We ought to hear the words of the wise, even if they are quiet and they should be heard rather than the shout of a ruler of fools. But that's not how it goes, right? Namely, it's the ones who yell the loudest. They're the ones that are typically heard, not even if they have a good argument. I know this morning we talked about how we like to bring a lot of emotions into our argument. That's not good argumentation. Sometimes it's people who yell the loudest and are the meanest. There's no argument there, but they just yell and they petition, right? That's what the left does. They just yell, yell, yell really, really, really loud. And they get their way that way. Maybe the right should yell really, really loud that we might get our way. I don't know, but that's maybe not. We should have good arguments with that. But the reality is rather than the shout of a ruler of fools, 
That's not, that's the, the reality, but, but unfortunately, it's the shout of a ruler of fools that is heard. We ought to be a people who are calm rather than raging. It's hard not to rage. It's hard to be calm. We ought to be calm rather than lose our temper. Also, Proverbs, 7, uh, Proverbs 17, 27, the preacher, or I guess Solomon, he's not the preacher in Proverbs, but it's the same guy. Uh, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs, or most of the Proverbs anyway, Proverbs 17, 27, he says, he who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of, a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. A wise person assesses rather than reacts. A tyrant is one who yells loudly and louder and louder and louder. Those who are a fool do not assess and consider. So rather the words of a wise and quiet than the, uh, the shout of a ruler of fools. And he goes on to say another better than statement, verse 18, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom can bring grief, but it's also better than being a fool with a sword. It's better to have wisdom to be able to assess and discern the situation and make the right decision on what needs to be done. So better the weapons of war, but uh, better uh, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. But notice, one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is something to be pursued, but you're going to be despised. You're not going to be heard. And someone who's a fool is going to ruin everybody. I mean, why in the world will we pursue wisdom? What value is there in pursuing wisdom, right? That's the conundrum. That's the perplexity. That's what he is wrestling with in these words. But isn't that the truth? One sinner destroys much good. Let's think about this in connection with compliments. Maybe if you're like me, do you ever have people say nice things about you, but it's the one thing that's negative you always think about and ponder why is that? 99 good things, the one thing I have to ponder and consider all the time. I mean, why is that? I mean, at least the Bible tells us one sinner destroys much good, or a dead flies, flies uh, putrefy the performer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. One small thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump if we use it in New Testament language. Bridges says, witness the infidel poisoning the unwary by the plausibility of his evil. The Sabbath breakers, evil examples, he, 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 he goes deep here. The enticing influence of the pleasure-loving worldling. Look at the church, the careless, unenlightened, or heretical minister, the inconsistent professor. He goes on to talk about parents as well, uh, talk about parents and being poor examples to their children. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I mean, how one sinner can destroy much good. And there's so many examples of this in biblical history, in world history. One person can just ruin it for everybody. I mean, the ruler in the parable is a good example of that, or in the story is a good example of that. Achan's sin in Joshua 7, one guy just couldn't keep his hands off the, you know, treasure devoted to destruction, right? He just had to grab it. He had to take it. And then Joshua's like, hey, we're going to AI. Do do we really need to send the whole army? We're just going to take it. It's going to be fine. But because that guy took that thing, they were not able to rout AI. Eventually, they found Achan out. Him and his family died. They dealt with that sin and purged the evil from among them. But it was one man's sin, Achan's sin. And how many communist dictators, I mean, throughout the world, one person 
and their ideology. One person gets offended and they ruin it for everybody else. One sinner destroys much good. And that is a sad reality. He's going to go on to deal with a lot of this stuff too in connection between wisdom and folly in chapter 10. But good lessons for us to be prepared for. One sinner destroys much good. Now, we still ought to pursue wisdom, right? Even though there's going to be perplexing things as we engage in that pursuit. But we ought to pursue wisdom regardless of recognition. Brother, we have to ask ourselves and really be honest with ourselves about why we do good things in this world. Why do we serve in the church? Why do we gather? Uh, why do we suffer? Why do we do what we do? Is it really for God's honor or is it really for our honor? That's something we all have to ask ourselves. Because even good things can become bad gods. And even service for the sake of being seen by others can be a bad thing. I'm not saying we don't serve. I'm just saying we ask God to forgive us and we have a right understanding of service and what that is. But it shows how pride just always lurks, doesn't it? In everything, in everything that we do. We want recognition. We want fanfare. Don't deny it. We want to perform. We don't want to perform the service where nobody sees me. We want to do the one where everybody seems to notice what I am doing. It happens so often, brethren. We ought to be honest with ourselves. And Bridges gives good counsel. He says, work for the best interest of your fellow creatures, but not for their approbation or reward, but not their praise be our motive. Shouldn't we just do good things, A, to honor God and because it's the right thing to do, rather than receiving praise from other people? Now, if someone does something nice, we should, you know, encourage them and thank them for that. But if we don't, shouldn't we do it for the sake of it being the right thing to do? That's why the golden rule, Jesus says in Matthew 7, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not how they actually treat you, but how you wish they would actually treat you. That's tough, isn't it? That is very hard to do. And what's interesting is going along the lines of how pride comes up a lot. I was thinking about this over the past couple of years or in light of the past couple of years. And I'm not projecting on the men who suffered in our, you know, in our country. They, they really did. I'm not trying to say that. But I remember talking to someone and something struck me by what this person said. They said, I'm not going to suffer unless it brings impact. I'm not going to suffer unless it brings impact. You see, even our suffering can be a means of boasting, right? I suffered for the Lord. Look at me. Now, if we suffer for the Lord, we ought to thank him that he helps us in those times of suffering. Again, I'm not projecting on those guys. I'm not, I don't have those guys necessarily in mind, but how quickly pride and arrogance and sin can emerge in our lives, right? And one thing uh, I was very struck by reading a recent book called The Gates of Hell. It's about the Lutheran church during the first, you know, 20 or so years of communism. And, uh, you know, one thing that was very different than certainly what we endured was the fact that, you know, if, if something were to happen at our, at our church, I knew I would be the only one going to prison. Well, for the Lutherans, it was not so. It was the Lutheran, it was the pastor and his wife that would be taken away and his children possibly it was Sunday school teachers who would be taken away. So 
quite harsh for sure, most assuredly. And, uh, and certainly they were much more vocal about their hatred for religion, wanting to remove it. I mean, I think Stalin had that five-year plan. And what's interesting, he was kind of shocked after the five-year plan that a lot of people still supposedly confess to be Christians. But in any case, one thing that struck me in this book is that some people did were released and were able to tell their story. But I'm paraphrasing what this writer notices. And he says, for most of them, though, the last days of these faithful men and women who died in exile, who died in the gulag, who died by execution, those last days went with them to the grave. Nobody saw. Nobody knew. So, brethren, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to suffer, not because people will see us, but because God has called us to, even though nobody will see us? And may he help us in those times to do that, because we need his great strength in those moments to be able to suffer like those men and women did uh, in the Lutheran church. It is a bit of a sad prospect to consider, very sad thing to ponder and consider but we must recognize no one remembered the same poor man. Will we suffer for the sake of Christ when no one sees? Now, thankfully, I don't want to end on a sad note. There is great comfort for the people of God who suffer when nobody sees and who suffer if everybody sees. God is with them. Is he not? Christ has said, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so whatever we endure, whatever trial, whatever hardship, if it does lead to persecution, whatever suffering we go through in this world that may not be persecution, God is with us. When we're disappointed, God is with us. When we're fearful, God is with us. When we need strength, God is with us. And even though we are not known by people, God knows us more than we know ourselves, does he not? And we have a blessed reality, the blessed reality of the fact that we do know him in the Lord Jesus Christ. God knows his people, even though the world may not know us. Not to give us a lot of comfort and strength uh, in the world in which we live. And the reason we have this communion with God, and this is where we'll close, is because of one man. I don't know that, Ecclesi that the preacher had Adam in mind when he said, one sinner destroys much good, but I certainly went there in my mind. One man brought sin into this world, but one man brings righteousness for sinners. One man brings sin, one man brings righteousness. Isn't that a great comfort for the people of God in this world in which we live? When we, are, when we cry, when we have tears, when we have sorrow, when we're perplexed. I love what Bridges says. He says, yet when tears are fruitless, there is blood to cleanse. And here let the contrite sinner lie, where the foundation is open for sin and where acceptance is ready for the sinner in all its fullness of blessing. We know this one man, and this one man is with us to the end of the age. And this one man will bring us to a place where there is no disappointment, where there is no sorrow, where there is no sadness, but hope and blessing forevermore.
Well, let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, thank you for Christ and this one man who is righteous in every way. Thank you for his perfection, for we fail so very much. Please forgive us for our forgetfulness. Please forgive us for our pride and our arrogance. Please forgive us for taking good things and being arrogant and prideful with them. And we're thankful that these sins are forgiven in this one man. Thank you that he took our sin upon that cross. Thank you that we have died with him. We've been raised with him and we have ascended with him. Thank you that all that we have is because of him. And we're thankful that even though we walk in a world where there is uh, people who are forgotten, where we'll be disappointed, that we have a God who is always with us and always walks with us day by day. May this give us comfort and strength as we have to endure the sorrows and hardships of this fallen world. But we're thankful, O oh God, you, we do so as you walk with us and guide us by the hand. Keep us and protect us we pray, as we pray as we go into the world. We pray, O oh God, that we would still pursue wisdom, that we would pursue wisdom, pursue right living, regardless of the fanfare we may or may not receive. May we do so for your honor, and may we do so because it truly is the right thing to do according to your word. So we pray, O oh God, you'd forgive us for all the times we do not do um, these good things according to your word and according to uh, right motives. Thank you again for Christ who forgives us, not only of the deeds uh, misdeeds we commit, but also the wicked motives that we have. So help us by your spirit uh, to honor and glorify you as we go into the world. Give us strength and aid from on high. Help us to give you glory and praise and honor. And may you keep us and protect us and give us wisdom from on high. So be with your saints, we pray. Be saved, uh, be pleased to save sinners, we pray. And in all things, O oh God, we pray that you be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.